episode 5-5 of Free as in Freedom. I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. And we have yet another episode on site at Linux Comp Australia in late January 2015. On the ground underground. I don't have <laughs> any idea what that means. <laughs> I tried. I don't know what it means. Are you going to explain it? On the ground. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Well, Down under, really. I don't like those. Yeah. Other than the Men at Work song. I, you know. I, it was a real stretch. Okay. It was, it was, I was just trying, I was trying. So we have a guest, uh, again, <laughs> because that's what we do when we travel. We find guests and put them into conference rooms with annoying music playing in the background, which we apologize for. To if interview you can hear that, it. If you can hear it. As, well, uh, producer Dan will do his best uh, to interview people who are doing really interesting things. And we discovered, uh, actually, it was in my email spool, as it turned out, um, but I hadn't read it because I never read my email. But I uh, read it. Yeah, but you had read it, that, that uh, we have our guest today, uh, Nick, uh, Nick Coughlin. 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 I should have asked you that before if I were a better podcast host. I would have <laughs> had to pronounce your name properly. Um, and uh, you work for Red Hat, and you're uh, working on some really interesting stuff. Do you, um, do you want to start by just sort of telling us what you were speaking at about uh, at the conference, and then we'll go from there? Yeah, uh, so one of the big systems my uh, the team I work for maintains at Red Hat is Red Hat's hardware integration testing system. So... So it's basically, uh, and so one of my colleagues recently has been doing a lot of work on the hardware scanning and inventory system, which is basically a lot more detailed than than uh, what most people need because we actually need to grab stuff for testing drivers and CPU compatibility and all that sort of stuff. So, so yeah, so just about some of the details of how that works and the depth we go to in scanning systems. So, so you can just like say, give me a Celeron or give me a... AMD yeah. Athlon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, but I think I think it's an interesting to hear about your work as a contributor to free software because you're you're doing something. It's, it's close to my heart because I, I spent most of my career as a sysadmin um, before I actually did non-technical stuff like I do now. And so I'm a real fan of people who really try to make free software work for people. And you're in a great place where at Red Hat you can make free software work for other free software developers. And so you're constantly looking, I guess, for free software solutions for infrastructure uh, for for developers to get development done, right? Yeah. So so because we're uh, so I'm in a situation of where basically a pure Linux shop where the only Windows we have deployed is for interoperability testing, pretty much, uh, and the and so we're we're very much trying to use free software to build free software, um, and so I kind of get to if if the the, the direct internal customer relationship with the product development team saying, no, no, no this doesn't work. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, and that uh, Red Hat started doing a lot more around the developer experience and, and like actually that full, the, the full infrastructure development lifecycle of how do you get it from a uh, developer's desktop to running in production uh, and that, uh, yeah, that actually that full pipeline is is uh, the 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 open source developer experience often leaves a lot to be desired. <laughs> and what's so. your accent? 
I'm sorry. A, a weird <laughs> Australian hybrid, depending on how many okay. Americans and I've been talking to recently. Yeah, you, you, yeah, <laughs> I was noticing that. Uh, so, so you're you're working at Red Hat in Australia. Yes. And and so uh, obviously the the and most of our listeners know how much uh, how, how the issues I take with GitHub, but it's very common now for people to just say, oh, just use GitHub, just put it on GitHub. Um, but you're actually looking at and, and where Karen and I are very excited because you're looking at um, using a, a project that's a member of Conservancy called Calithia, which is a self-hosting kind of system for the type of stuff people tend to do on GitHub, but being able to ho host and install it yourself internally. Um, yeah, yeah, and so I'm very much. Like very much the the view of that, it's it's like as an infrastructure company or as as a provider of corporate infrastructure is my actual day job, uh, and it's like from a competitive point of view, it's like no, I do not want to enable monopoly providers. It's like this, <laughs> it's like oh sure, it's convenient in the next six months, and then five years down the track, it's like well, why did they just jack all their prices up? Uh, and, it, and it's like, like one, one, the one thing to learn from economics is that incentives do work uh, and that the reason, reason people go after these monopolies is that it's like, it, it's because it works in their favor further down the track. And as a customer, you're like going, well, hang on, <laughs> that's not in my interest further down the track. Um, and so, and how, how are you starting to see? So, Calithia is it, it being a, a, a free software system that's that can do the kinds of things that GitHub does. How are you start? How are you starting to integrate that? What are you seeing with it? Where where do you see us missing things that those other systems have as features that we need to do? Like, how well, are you looking at it? So, so the interesting thing from my point of view is is that I think I think the value that that a service like GitHub provides to people isn't necessarily in the the software itself and the UX and that kind of thing, uh, although they did do some very have some very good ideas there, um, but just in making the hosting somebody else's problem, mm -hmm. like somebody else is worrying about your backup, somebody else is worrying about your data replication. Basically, it's it's a, a service administration as a service, um, and that there's actually some interesting stuff happening. The next layer down around the uh, with uh, so things like OpenStack and OpenShift and Cloud Foundry that the open source vendors are basically figuring out how to how to take this stuff that happened internally at places like Google and Facebook and Amazon and happened in a closed way proprietary. Provider, uh, so Google started opening up some of their stuff. Facebook opened up some of theirs, um, and that as we get that automation layer out, uh, that running a service like GitHub yourself should cease to be as painful as it is today, mm -hmm. uh, and that and that there'll be, uh, and so that's kind of uh, with the Calafea stuff. That's kind of where I'm like going. But it's like we shouldn't need to run. Or we shouldn't need to use a uh, third party. A, th a third party. It's like it's. We should be able to get this to a point where we can just automate it ourselves, run it ourselves, um, use um, uh, use uh, salt for the production servers, and just basically make it relatively easy to run and maintain, uh, and then but then have the full control that we need to start supporting some of the more complex mm -hmm. workflows for the C Python. 
project. Yeah, so so I want you to talk some more about that because uh, Karen and I, obviously, we're always advocating for conservancy projects to get adopted, and it's just so exciting that you've made actually a proposal uh, in because you're really you're involved in the you're a member of the Python Software Foundation, involved in PSF, and involved in the C Python infrastructure. And so you were telling me before, which I'd like to tell to our listeners as well, that you've made a. Um, a proposal for Calithia to be the default. For, uh, I ask, this is really distracting. I'm sorry for asking yeah. these continuously distracting, not yeah. on the topic questions, but you're, how, is, how is it pronounced? I I don't know. It's a Greek. As Americans, it's a Greek I guess we're saying. Are we saying it wrong? Are we saying it? What, what, I have no idea. It? I've been calling it Calathea, but yeah, I, I, I could be completely wrong too. Probably a better pronunciation. I call it's a yeah. Greek town. Yeah, it's, no. I, well, on Calathea's website, if you go to Calathea-scm.org uh, and look at the website, it actually has the Greek. So I guess we need a Greek listener to tell us. We talked about it on the IRC channel, so our other our listeners probably know that I was heavily involved with getting Calathea set up for the licensing project, mm-hmm. and I can't stop saying that because I've been calling it that in my head for all this time. Um, well, maybe one. Of of our so, three listeners lives in, yeah, you know, yeah. Knows but uh, we have I mean, the key Calithia team is a guy who lives in uh, who lives in the Netherlands, uh, somebody who who lives in uh, um, who lives in the U.S. because I'm involved, and then there's another U.S. person named Sean Farley, and then a, a Eastern European fellow. So I, I don't think there's anybody Greek involved that can pronounce it. Um, so so I, we, either way, I think it's going to be fine. But uh, regardless of how it's pronounced, yes. um, you're making a proposal for it to go to be the default for C Python. Yes. Yeah, so great. tell us a little bit that yeah. and what led you to want to make that proposal and why you think it's the right choice for CPython's infrastructure. So, so, one of the, so one of the things GitHub did really get right is that as a workflow for simple projects with like kind of a single line of development, um, the pull request model is just a brilliant way of doing code review. Uh, and when you combine it with um, online, editing, on, online editing support where you can just click on a file and edit it right there in your browser, uh, it's actually a really, really good way of doing quick fixes to things like you see a typo in docs or you see a typo in a comment or whatever. Um, that It's just a really nice way to lower the barrier entry to simple fixes, uh, like ones that don't risk breaking the world. Um, and so for, for the C Python project, um, so the Python reference interpreter, the branching model on the main C Python repo is really quite complicated and messy because we've got um, two active maintenance branches at any point in time, uh, the main feature branch, uh, and then we'll have, actually, so we have up to three active maintenance branches, uh, and then we'll have a couple more branches in security fix mode. Mm -hmm. Um, And so most of the, like, the. There's just no percentage in a web hosting service catering to that kind of complexity because there are very, very few projects that are that need that kind of complexity. Uh, CPython just happens to be one of them. But in addition to that, we have a bunch of additional support repos uh, for things like the developer guide, uh, the Python enhancement proposals. Um, there's a few other things like some of the how-to guides and stuff in the main documentation that I'd actually like to extract out into their own repos. Um, and for those, I think, would really benefit from that pull request with online editing capability. Um, and so I'd had a proposal sitting around for over a year, I think, um, that uh, was basically to say, hey, let's set up one of the, uh, well, so it was road code at the time because it was before <laughs> the fork. Uh, so I switched it to uh, the fully GPL um, Calathea after the fork happened. Um, and that had just been sitting there because I just didn't have time to work on it. Um, and 
and it was like the case of the status quo was kind of clumsy, but it's like, it's just working with version control, check stuff out, edit it, push it back. Um, and so what happened was actually somebody made a genuine uh, proposal to say, hey, look, let's just use GitHub. Uh, and mm. and that, that kind of triggered my professional brain where I'm like going, no, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and, and so Brett, Brett Cannon uh, 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 kindly, or was volunteered um, to, uh, he's, he's been kind of the arbiter for a lot of our previous infrastructure upgrades where we're basically just setting up a case of people say submit proposals for, for um, how you would like to improve the infrastructure um, and then we'll just set up a few competing peps for, with different champions saying let's do it this way um, and, and then so his timeline was having proposals in by the end of January. Um, so at this point, it's looking like it'll basically be Donald's proposal to just use GitHub and mine to use a self-hosted Calathea. Um, uh, and, and then basically, yeah, we'll start working through those, set up demos, mm -hmm. say, so that people can actually see what it's gonna be like. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then he'll probably make a decision around May or so, uh, and then we'll will aim to have something in place for the Python 3.6 development cycles. So. so how, so it's, so it's, it's decided there's not a vote of uh, on one of these proposals. Yeah, I was surprised is, to hear that actually, that it's just a decision by one. What's the process? Uh, so, so basically, so it's pretty much the same process that the Python enhancement proposals themselves go through, which is, so, um, so Guido's, uh, Guido's basically the, benevolent um, dictator for life. Uh, and so Python's, Python's decision-making process on designs, um, uh, essentially all authority gets delegated from Guido. Uh, and so, but it's the thing of, you're not making uh, what, what the role is when you make the final decision-maker on a PEP uh, is basically to be the one who decides when consensus has been reached. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's, it's really pretty much the Apache style voting system of, you can be plus one on a change of, I think this is a good idea, and yes, yes, it should happen. Um, the plus zero of, uh, I think this is a good idea, but I don't actually care if it doesn't happen. Um, the minus zero of, I suspect this is a bad idea, but sure, if you want to do it, go ahead. Uh, and then the minus one is the veto where you're basically saying, no, this is a genuinely bad idea, I'm going to campaign to make it not happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and so that decision-making process, it's right, like rather than having a vote, it's the thing of the, the proposal has the designated authority who is, whose basic job it is to listen to everybody, listen to all the objections, listen to all the proposals, and basically say, yes, this is the one, th this, is the, this is the direction we're gonna go. Uh, is there any support for your proposal already? Um, yeah, well, so it's basically, it's basically the case of the concerns, the current concerns aren't so much around the software itself. Like I think, or most of us are pretty familiar with the GitHub style workflow at this point. Uh, and so, so the concerns are more around historically, we've done a bad job of getting people interested in contributing to infrastructure maintenance. So like we, we've had a few cases of, um, choosing to run our own services, but then not 
not doing the work to say, well, okay, this is how people contribute to CPython, but if they're interested instead in contributing to the issue tracker or uh, that sort of thing is the developer experience around those is often quite bad with really quite high barriers to entry, which then means it doesn't get work done, which then means it kind of just kind of, it'll stay static for years while the world moves on around us. And then we'll kind of go, oh, our developer experience is really bad relative to other options. We should do something about it. Um, and that's kind of a cycle we've been in pretty much the entire time I've been involved is, is like we'll just every few years do a, some significant changes. And that's the dynamic I'd actually really like to change this time. Uh, and so that's um, because it, it's a bad dynamic. It's, it's like you, kind of, you want the continuous improvement in your infrastructure rather than doing a rip and replace every few years. Well, I th and I think as a as sort of a, a planning matter, it, it was a good idea to reach out to the Calithia community and try and get them involved because I, it's, a, it's a younger project. It's a, as you mentioned, it's a fork of another one, which by the way, at some point I'll broadcast my, uh, we'll broadcast on the show my talk about why Calithia I was, is a fork. I we, we had a show We, ha we hadn't it. done that yet per se, yeah. so, uh, so uh, I think we've mentioned it a few times. So, so those, that, could, that show is coming, so in the, in the future archives you may jump forward to that and then come back to it. <laughs> I think it's, it's somewhat irrelevant. It's, it's simple to this discussion. It's simply the fact that Calithia doesn't have a ton of users yet as a project. Uh, and, and the fact that you've contacted the community, I think it's a, it's a good, and sometimes a political move because you've, you've contacted the community. Hopefully, I think the Calithia community, while small, is going to be really supportive to grab this great user base of the yeah, CPython yeah. folks. Well, and, and, and also from, from my point of view, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a mistake I think we've made in previous cases where we haven't done that. Uh, and I think it becomes that thing of, and we've tried to do, because um, my, so my actual day job being using open source and that sort of stuff, um, it's that you, well, <laughs> uh, you, inevitably, you inevitably want to customize or need to customize things to integrate with your own stuff. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that the, the more customizations you have, the harder it is to do future upgrades. Um, and so you really want to be maintaining that good relationship with upstream and doing as much work upstream as you can. And it's like kind of Red Hat's entire business model is built on that. It's like, it's like you do the customizations, but you push, um, you, you push stuff as upstream as quickly as you can. So you don't have to, um, maintain your uh, Delta as long. Um, and, uh, and so from my point of view, um, it, I wanted to be. I wanted it to be very much the case of well, if you want to get involved in Calithea maintenance for CPython, that it would be the case of well, you really just want to get involved in Calithea maintenance mm -hmm. uh, and that. And so, rather than um, rather than doing developer experience work for here is how people will work on uh, CPython's Calithea instance, I basically realized that it made more sense to go to the um, Galatea developers and say, hey, I want to do a bunch of work on your developer experience um, because I think that's my biggest concern for adopting it for CPython um, and just make sure that the community was okay with that and would be willing to have the discussion about potentially merging some of it upstream because, yeah. 
So how, how much in the Python community is there a, a, an automatic push, uh, or not push, but automatic positive response to a project written in Python itself? For example, I've noticed the primary adopters of Mercurial are folks in the Python community because Mercurial itself is written in Python, and there's kind of this automatic connection. Um, is there an interest in projects uh, for infrastructure when they're, oh, they're written in a language we're developing, so it's more, we're more interested in using it? Yeah, so, so from my point of view, uh, what I, the thing I find attractive about it is that uh, it becomes a positive contributor experience uh, because it becomes the thing of if, if somebody wanted to get experience in web service development in Python, because, um, so, so to put it bluntly, there's a, there's a heck of a lot more job opportunities doing web service development in Python <laughs> than there are doing language development work. Particularly in C. Yeah. It's like language development in C. Well, uh, so the, the C Python code base is more than 50% Python. Oh, that's it, it's like It's like, because most of the standard library is Python. Yeah. I, I should mention, by the way, that the PyPy project is also a member of Conservancy, so we are big fans of PyPy, but it's always good to have multiple implementations. Uh, well, so, so I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I kind of start pushing people towards PyPy as the long-running server yeah, implementation yeah. because like the stuff they do is awesome. Yeah. Um, they just... They just don't have the patience for language design arguments. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, where was it? Uh, sorry, I interrupted yeah. with a pie pie joke. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, so yeah, so the the whole jobs thing that yeah, not a lot of jobs in language design, yeah. um, but it is fun though. Yeah, yeah, um, of course. But, <laughs> but uh, um, so from that from that uh, community building perspective. Uh, it's the case of the people most likely to get interested in helping maintain C Python infrastructure are going to be Pythonistas, and if so, if your tooling is also Python based, then you can get them in there. You have more opportunities to get them involved in different aspects and get involved in customizations and bringing in. And it also just becomes a way of getting more visibility into different projects mm -hmm. that are in the in the um, uh, in the community space and some of their strengths and weaknesses and say. That's a pylon slash pyramid application, and the main website's a Django application, and so getting building stronger ties between um, stronger ties between the folks creating the language, but then also us using services that other people have written using the language. Um, so, so like if you want to find like if you want to find in the expertise in Python web development, well, you don't talk to us; you talk to the folks actually writing the web frameworks. So. So you've you spent a lot of time, I, I've, I've heard uh, of you uh, for, for some time now because you've looked a lot at the different uh, systems that are out there for the developer infrastructure. So you don't have to use GitHub or Bitbucket, you can actually have it hosted yourself. The ones I know about are, are basically Gatorius, GitLab, Fabricator, and now Calithia um, are the really four free software ones that are released as free software. Have you looked at... SourceForge is Allure's. Oh, I wasn't... I wasn't well. uh, you weren't going to count that? I, well, the thing is, is that I'm old enough that I can't remember if SourceForge is open source or not because it was, then it wasn't, now it is again. And granted, I realized that was over a 15-year period, so I should keep up. But <laughs> um, when it went proprietary, I mean, that was actually a huge blow to free software development when SourceForge went proprietary. 
Um, right? I mean, they just they, they went stop releasing. They went trade secret. They stopped releasing the source code for the main site uh, years ago, and then as they waned in popularity, they uh, finally released it, which I predict may happen with GitHub as well. Um, but uh, in the meantime, there's basically four or five out there that are fully free software you can run on your own instance. Um, do you have opinions now at this point? I mean, I'm guessing you really like Calithia, uh, but is that just because you're a Python guy, or are there are there other things you've seen in the other ones that really have drawn you to Calithia? Uh, so the big thing, so the big thing I liked about um, Calithia, uh, which it inherited from the Rootcode stuff, was that it abstracts away the version control system, which mm-hmm. is, which is like I've been doing this long enough now that it's like you the um, like Git was just kind of one of the that you had the crop of division distributed version control systems that all came out at once, uh, and so I've gone through, I've gone through the the adoption of version control in the first place, um, and then the recognition that all oh, atomic commits are a good idea with the migration from to subversion. Um, actually, sorry, I just missed the RCS days, so I at least that I, 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 I used RCS <laughs> first. I'm proud to be that old. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, yeah, so so I, I at least got to start with CVS, um, but then so the CVS, oh, CVS was awesome. When you went from RCS to CVS, it was like a huge yeah. leap, you know. Um, and, and so that's it. so so actually doing infrastructure development professionally, you basically it basically you think it's um, uh, it's the thing of that you when a technology first becomes popular, if you're spending all your time talking to early adopters, uh, then it becomes the case of, oh, whoa, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be here and it's going to be permanent. Nothing's ever going to replace it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you're like going, well, hang on. So this is, it's, it's, these, these things move in cycles. And, it's, and so it's like, uh, you, you, somebody has a genuinely good idea and executes well enough to gain popularity. Um, and, and that Git has basically achieved that. Like Git does what it does very well, um, but it also has some pretty significant usability issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, as a systems integrator, what you basically learn is that you often always want to start with two, because if so, so um, so Calathea at the moment supports Git and Mercurial, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's got the VCS library in front of it to abstract that away, and and it shows the common principles between them. And so what that gives you is that decouples you from the details of a specific implementation. And so that means if a third thing comes along that is actually better than the current generation ones, you have that abstraction layer where you don't have to unwind all your Git-specific assumptions because you avoided making them in the first place. And so you, you have your abstraction layer that's already there that you can plug something else in. Uh, and it better positions you for the long-term evolution of systems, mm-hmm. um, and, and so that's, and and that and that's where it's kind of my infrastructure engineering background comes in, which is, like my my first full-time job was a high-frequency communication system where you're like, you're integrating allied tech from the 40s and 50s, <laughs> and you you're having to do that because you're like going, we need to talk to our allies who haven't upgraded their gear for decades. Mm-hmm. And you can't say, oh, well, we're not just going to talk to them because they're an ally. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you, you have to support their stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's that thing of that, yeah, just it really does, like we, we kind of, when, when we're kind of in the open source bubble, we, we forget that we're just 
a tiny, tiny subset of the world and frequently at the leading edge of adopting new organizational models and new software development and new sort of that sort of thing. Um, and we were just kind of like, well, no, most of the world's not moving that fast. And, and that you want these hedges and balances to try and say, well, how are we going to, where are we going to be in three years' time? Where are we going to be in five years' time? Listening so. to you, it makes me wonder how many distributed version control systems that we can have in conservancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we only, we only have Mercurial, Darks, and Git at this point. So, yeah, so. Uh, so Monotone has never applied, so, uh, so we haven't taken them. I, I don't know if there's any free software ones. Maybe, uh, maybe Larry McCoy will come along and finally release his free software BitKeeper. And if he does, we will welcome to conservancy. <laughs> so, so, there's actually, so there's actually one with some really quite cool ideas in it uh, called Veracity. And the thing oh, about yes, Veracity, I've heard of it. Yes, so the thing about Veracity, because yeah. Um, um, yeah, Eric Sink, the guy who made Source Gear, mm -hmm. um, which is really interesting blog. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Veracity put was not just a distributed version control system; it was a distributed issue tracker. Mm -hmm. And so it put the because mm -hmm. it was that thing of it's like oh great you mm -hmm. can code offline, yeah. but when you're coding offline, it's like how do you update close your issue bug, yeah. <laughs> So your issue track is still online, so you can't close the bugs, you can't put comments on it. Mm -hmm. um, and so the idea of Veracity was that it had a distributed database mm -hmm. built into it as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so when you cloned, you not only got the source control, you got the issue tracker. Yeah. Is it still? A it's still around, I think, but it was just one of those things oh. that they just never got the. <laughs> Never got the adoption, so I think I think their main interest now is um, is using using SQLite as the mobile phone version for App Sync, mm -hmm. so, such that you design your mobile apps so that they work with a local database, and then you sync it to a mm -hmm. cloud backend. Yeah. Um, just to, yeah. So yeah, and there, and there are other. I mean, there's other yeah. folks looking at that. Uh, um, I know. Uh, Yelmer, who's a Samba developer, has looked a lot into this issue of distributed uh, bug trackers. And uh, there's the thing Bugs Everywhere, which is uh, more of a proof of concept than anything else. But it's, it's, a, it's an open question how to do distributed bug tracking along with code. And so, yeah, and you're right. That eventually that will come along. <laughs> and then it'll have to be integrated in Clithy or whatever yeah. else. And you as an integration engineer and a deployment uh, infrastructure <laughs> deployment engineer have to be ready to be like, oh, i got to figure out how to do this and give it to my developers as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and so, so this is actually so, and the other interesting thing too is, so like the developer experience stuff for Calathea, it's like my actual day job involves doing a bunch of developer experience work for Red Hat's internal development. So do you want to talk, are you and able so, to talk some about that, about what, you, what you're doing at Red Hat with, with that? Yeah. So, so what I'm kind of driving a lot of at the moment is, is um, so Red Hat's, uh, so in Fedora, we've kind of realized that uh, pretty much since forever, uh, developers and Linux distros have been at loggerheads where the fundamental insight that I think we kind of needed is that managing a developer workstation the same way you manage a production server doesn't actually make any sense. Uh, that, that, the, that, uh, that, yeah, you can, that in terms of the developer workstation, it's more a matter of uh, developer control, speed, getting access to the stuff they need to try things out and say, yes, this is a good idea, no, that's a bad idea. Uh, and then as a second step is when you start formalizing things, locking them down, getting it into, yes, this is something we're going to take to production and, uh, and is something we actually want to support and deploy and so on and so forth. Um, and that the, the Linux distros were very much, have very much been built from the perspective of 
you're an administrator deploying code you didn't write uh, and, and that you need to be, and so you want to be able to, regardless of how developers built the system, you want to be able to use the same set of tools to deploy, um, deploy and manage your systems. Uh, whereas developers are approaching things from a different direction, particularly cross-platform developers, where we want to be able to give contributors the same set of instructions regardless of whether they're running uh, Windows or Mac OS X or Linux on their desktop, we need to be able to say, here is how you set up your dev environment. Um, and so those two things have been very much in conflict for quite some time. Uh, and so what we're what we're finally getting to is the realization that, oh, okay, that we actually need to fix that problem on the distro side, that, that, that we, need to, we need to accommodate that developer experience and say, okay, you're gonna be using your developer-specific tools. You're probably gonna be using different tools from the ones that admins are using. Uh, and what we need to do is figure out how to automatically translate between them uh, and, have, and have the, right, this bit of the stack is managed by the developers, this bit's managed by the sysadmins, and just find better ways for those two groups to collaborate rather than just yell at each other and, and never talk to each other and people wonder why stuff doesn't work. Um, so, and so yeah, and so it's actually really interesting because I'm in the position of driving a bunch of Red Hat's own adoption of the stuff we're selling to customers. Uh, and, and, and so using our own products to fix our own systems. It's like, so it's actually really cool. So, uh, Karen, do you have any other questions you want to make sure we ask Nick before we uh, oh, sign um, off? You know, I guess, is there anything that um, that our listeners can do to help with the proposal? The, the, you mean a pet proposal for Calithia? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, sorry, I went if back. They, say if they're PSF members or something like that, what can they do? Uh, so, mostly just, uh, well, so there's... there's I, I, they could become an upstream Calithia developer, I'm sure that would help. But get, barring that, right, is there right, anything right. else they could do? Well, so, so, a lot, so a lot of what I'm currently going to be working on and have been working on um, is, well, so actually trying out some of the instructions on here's how to run up your own demo server and, mm -hmm. and things. So I've, I've done one which is doing a demo server on OpenShift Online, which then Graham Dumbledon picked up and ran with. And mm -hmm. I'd been talking about, like the way I did mine was just fairly quick and dirty. Uh, and then Graham came has come along and done an actual proper one, which gets it up and running under Apache and ModWhiskey, and and it's like I'm going ah cool, <laughs> so so I need to bring that back in, um, but yeah I'll I'll be be doing stuff around um, around uh, the local developer experience and how you run up dev servers locally, um, and so that'll mostly be on my blog at Curious Efficiency. And so that'll... So get that URL exactly of your blog? Uh, so curiousefficiency.org. Hmm. Uh, so so I uh, will encourage listeners to check out your blog. Is there, uh, oh, it's got a U in it. It's okay. got C-U-R-I-O-U-S because right. I'm an Australian. Right. <laughs> and, I, and you couldn't, somebody has, somebody else has the other one? Or you couldn't buy both and redirect it or you just, it's it's just, just it that just, spelling it, is it correct. It just never occurred to me to spell it wrong. Yes, we have the extra U's in many of those words as a, as a U.S. American always seem like uh, redundant. It's like, well, do you actually need the U? Uh, um, it's yeah, like, no, you don't. Yeah, okay, okay. So, so the only last question I have for you is I noticed, uh, like me, you say sysadmin, and I was joking recently uh, that uh, about the, uh, 
the the younger generation obsession with this term DevOps, DevOps which I <laughs> you know, and when people try to explain to me the difference between being a sysadmin and doing DevOps, it was what I was doing in the early 1990s that I called sysadmin. So I'm starting to think maybe I should say I invented DevOps. But uh, <laughs> do, do, you, do you have a distinction between those two, or are you like me and think that it's just a fancy term for what we've always done? Uh, so so it it. It's a, it, it is a jargon term for a bunch of ideas, but it's the fundamental thing is that it basically uptime of production is the developer's problem, is the fundamental notion that, that if, if, if production goes down, it's not just the sysadmin's problem. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's the, the, the you, you design your entire development lifecycle around the idea of the, you know, the everybody in that chain is responsible for the stability of the production service. So that's the so. only definition of DevOps that I that I've ever heard that I don't object to. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree with that idea. I just I find a lot of it is 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 people trying to say that it, they're more awesome than sysadmins because they're DevOps, which I I, I have issue with that interpretation of the phrase. I see. Yes. O'Reilly yes. came up with that term. Oh really? DevOps. Oh, I don't know. I'm just. Serious. Oh, Tim O'Reilly, Brandon. I, I don't know. Actually, <laughs> I'm joking. Surprised. I'm joking by so, saying that it sounds yeah. like an O'Reillyism. Yeah. So, so it's from my point of view, it's it's to, to me the buzzwords are basically the jargon of the management world. Mm -hmm. So it's so it's like, um, yeah, when, when when things like agile and DevOps and cloud and whatever, you where you're just like going, okay, they're so overused and been stretched to cover so many different things. You, you're basically at that point, you're like going, that's managers talking to each other and that's what we sound like when we're talking to each other and business people can hear us. <laughs> it's like, and you're like going, oh, okay. It's, it's a different <laughs> world, different mindset, useful shorthand for, for a whole constellation of concepts around how you do how you divide organizational responsibility. And, and it's basically about breaking down that model that exists in a lot of companies where um, developers will write, write rubbish, throw it over the wall to QE, QE will then throw it over the wall to ops, even though it failed testing, <laughs> um, because the, there'll be a manager saying, no, 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 you have to get this feature into production, you have to get this feature into production, and you'll be going, but it's broken. <laughs> it's like, no, we have to ship it. Um, and so, yeah, and so, so the, the DevOps mindset is just basically the case of your providers of a service mm -hmm. and that code that is sitting on developers' machines and isn't in production is not useful. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you want to get, you want to get enhancements from developers to users as quickly as you can and just, yeah, how do you... Really, yeah, really fundamentally rethinking the way we do a lot of corporate infrastructure because a lot of it's very unhealthy uh, from a, yeah, it, it's very inefficient, basically. It's, it's just not providing, it, it's, it's a way of working which ends up delivering bad software from unhappy developers to unhappy users. <laughs> so you're like going, okay, this is a system which nobody is happy with Maybe we should try doing it differently. <laughs> so, uh, so other than reading, uh, so they should read your blog, and then uh, if they want to get involved in the uh, Calathea or Calithia stuff that you're working on directly, just on the main upstream mailing list, is the right place to go, or is there another place? To go? Uh, there's, there's, so there's actually an infrastructure 
Cpython.org, I think it is. Mailing us. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, so, so check so out infrastructurepython.org, uh, yeah. the Calithia uh, website, calithia-scm.org, and your your yeah. blog again is curiousefficiency.org. With a U. <laughs> so thanks, Nick, for taking the time to talk to us. Go. Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of Podfactory and can be found at podfactory.org. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. This episode of Free as in Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. You can follow Free as in Freedom, Bradley, and Karen on Identica, and also read Bradley's and Karen's blogs. Links can be found on the Free as in Freedom website, faith.us. That's faif.us. Hi, I'm Karen Sandler. No, we don't have to start that way. What? This is well. This is not going to be that segment. It'll Let's be the start. segment. No, 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 no. Let's start over.